Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. At the very least, what ASIC is going to expect is that your organisation will, will be meeting all of its 912A obligations and has always done so. And all you're doing is then um, adding in a different um, authorisation. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. We are back with a second episode of our special edition looking at your basic obligations. And this time around, we'll be looking at the AFSL, uh, most specifically looking at licensing variations post-Royal Commission. Once again, uh, we have Carol Ferguson, who is our strategic stakeholder and engagement consultant, and Naomi Burley, our managing director. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Kwame. How are you? (laughs) So tell me a little bit about what we're going to be talking about in terms of licensing. Okay, well, what we've done is we actually started out thinking about this one about just license obligations um, originally. But in the meantime, I've had quite a few members talk to me about the fact that they are going back and applying for variations in their license and that ASIC is being a little bit persnickety about this process rather than simply going, okay, you've been doing a really good job so far. Yes, of course, you can have a variation. So we wanted to have a little bit of a look today at the current situation that that a lot of members are encountering. Their organisations have made decisions about what they're going to do going forward post-Royal Commission. And one of those decisions has been, right, we need to vary our licence. And what this means and why ASIC might be taking this particular um, point of view on these variation applications and what you need to do in preparing for that process or going back to them. And, uh, and Carol, being an expert in this area, we thought we'd have her, her input on this. But what we will do at a later date is have a podcast around um, applying for a licence in the first instance mm-hmm. and also one for when you're new to an organisation as their compliance person, what you might need to get up to speed about their licence um, because we also have found in both the members' experience and Carol's experience is that the entity might not have had a compliance person in who actually knew a lot about compliance and they might not actually be adhering to their licence conditions. So you might need to do a little bit of work there. Correct. Right. Um, <laughs> but back on, to, back on to applying for a variation. So, Carol, one of, one of the feedback from members has been that um, they're finding that there was a lot more back and forth with ASIC in this process than they had anticipated, given that they have been adequately executing their licence to date, in their opinion. Yeah. I, I think that the, the variation process is a time when ASIC is able to touch base with a, with an entity and ask some more questions. So it may be since you've um, uh, received your AFSL that you've actually had no interaction with ASIC at all and you think you're doing a good job because you haven't heard from them. It's unfortunate that ASIC does simply not have the staff to deal with um, compliance reviews of every AFSL holder, so does it on a risk-based approach. And a variation of a licence to include a different product suite or a different functionality, so going from dealing, as an example, to managing um, a scheme or a, a RAP or, or similar, uh, the sort of touch points at which ASIC says, let's have a closer look at this organisation, just to make certain that, that it actually is meeting its, its licensed um, obligations. 
Okay, so it's a little bit like putting your head over the parapet. You've made a strategic decision. You need to do this variation. So in that case, you need to prepare a little bit differently than if you, in your mind, you might be tweaking it. But in ASIC's mind, is this essentially you reapplying all over again? In, in many ways, it is. I mean, at the very least, what ASIC's going to expect is that your organisation will, will be meeting all of its 912A obligations and has always done so. And all you're doing is then um, adding in a different um, authorization. But they're going to want to see that up to that point, you've actually been been doing things as, as are required. So your um, training registers are up to date. People are actually undertaking the training. You have the people, systems and processes that you need in order to discharge your financial services licence obligations. And sadly, a lot of people get the licence and then to an extent sit back and don't do the training, as an example, that's necessary for the staff under one under 912C and 104. And, and we, when we were discussing this in preparation for this, is it also the case that sometimes in an entity they've applied for a licence with future plans to do XYZ and what transpires after they get their licence is they don't actually undertake those services for whatever reason. So they don't keep that training up to date. But from ASIC's viewpoint looking back... Um, you could have, for all intents and purposes, been providing that service. And so you should have been doing that. So that's a, a little bit of a trap for people who've applied for quite a broad licence in the first place. Absolutely, um, Naomi. And, and one of the things is that people think, oh, well, look, if I apply for everything, then that will cover us. Everything means that you actually do have responsible offices and systems that can deliver a product at any time. You can't just... Um, warehouse a, a component of your license. It is far better to do an annual review of your license and then to determine whether it currently meets the financial um, product um, that you are distributing, as an example, or that you are creating, or that you are providing investment management advice for. And particularly, you need to sort of make the determination, are you you still only applying it to wholesale products or have some retail products crept into the, into the customer base? Mm. Yeah. And so I guess this is where a lot of entities are. The, a post-Royal Commission, they go, right, we don't really want to deal in this, this particular product anymore. It's, it is too high risk and we don't have the capacity for it. Um, but by putting in this variation, you're not really going to ASIC with it. From this point forward, we won't be. It's an opportunity for ASIC to go great. From mm. this point forward, you won't be doing that. But let's have a look at what you have been doing. Exactly. And part of this comes under the new product intervention powers. Um, we've talked about this very briefly. But under those powers, um, which don't strictly come into force until 2021... You, um, it, an operator needs to make a target market determination in relation to every one of their products. So at some stage you may have wanted to offer a general insurance product as an example. It's incredibly important that you start the process of doing a target market um, determination for each of your products. And so when you do the variation, Having done the TMD, you can actually say, do we want to continue to be in that space or do we want to relinquish that part of the licence? It is better, in my view, to relinquish the part of the licence that you don't 
use rather than warehousing because warehousing means you still have to have current skills. And you still need to have been compliant even exactly. if you were dealing in the yeah. product. Okay, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of you've made that decision, you have done that review, and you decide to do the variation accordingly. How should you approach this variation then? Does it need to be much more detailed and much more holistic than you might anticipate? Yeah, look, I, I think that the simple answer is treat it as if you are applying for a new licence because you need to make certain, as an example, that you have responsible officers that are able to discharge the services. So if, for instance, that you had uh, a licence to arrange for a person to you know, acquire a financial product and you wanted to extend it to a wrap product or, or similar, maybe even a, um, a, uh, sorry, a registered scheme, what do you need to do? Well, the very first thing you need to do is to look at 912A and say, do we comply? Do we actually have, for this particular product, the skills necessary to, to offer it to people? Are we going to offer it resale, retail or wholesale? What are the system upgrades that we need to have? Do we have policies in place in relation to that? Are we exposing ourselves, as an example, to additional AML CTF requirements? These are very simple things, but they must be done. So at the time you make the application to, to ASIC, it is fundamentally obvious that you're meeting all of the requirements. Um, at the moment, as an, as an example, ASIC is re rejecting a very high number of um, initial licence applications. We don't have the figures currently for variations, but but it's almost 40% of new licence obligations are rejected. So I kind of think it could be around about that level for variations. And and what's also triggering, triggering sorry, is ASIC reviews. So if you put in um, a, a variation, there is a greater risk or opportunity of ASIC walking in the door for a compliance review. Mm. Oh, it sort of seems like, once again, uh, compliance has to do double the work because they're trying to do the right thing. But but I guess this is useful advice for members to prepare accordingly um, because ASIC certainly demonstrated the appetite to exercise these powers ahead of the deadline. Yeah, and I think that the thing is is that when you've got a, a more litigious ASIC, then you need to make certain that you can, in fact, meet their questions. So if they are to walk in with a 912C notice, as an example, it's not a, um, a danger to you. You're not surprised, you're not upset, because you recognise that this is just another administrative function. And because you've done the work beforehand, you'll be okay. You're ready to answer the questions. Okay, are there any other pertinent points? So, so be prepared as though it's an initial application. Supply all of the material you need to supply. What are, what are some other handy tips around these variations? Or is it more around that general be prepared, expect them to come back with more questions than you might anticipate because it's, it's a different ASIC now than it was 18 months ago? Look, it's fair to say that nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, to, to, to coin a phrase. But I think it's really important that your board of management, not necessarily the board of directors, but the management folk, really understand what a variation means and have, have actually done the preparation to determine that this is actually what you want to do and that, you know, maybe you can outsource that and become a corporate authorised representative of another entity and use their licence, 
or, you know, as a testing, but, but if you in fact have made the determination you want to, to proceed in that way, you need to be very careful that your management ha are um, embracing the compliance obligations that you have to undertake. Okay, so, well, this is a nice segue. We are going to wind up soon, but I guess this is where, where compliance is always strategic. Compliance professionals can give those management uh, personnel the advice they need around the con these deeper considerations as opposed to them fobbing it off onto compliance to do. They need to understand strategically what this means for their organisation resource-wise and business decision-wise. Yeah, and I think that's a very important thing. I mean, a lot of compliance people just think their job is to tick a box. But when the business is moving into new business areas, it's an opportunity for you to be facilitative of that particular um, initiative, not always to say no, but to say, well, maybe we can think of a different way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So whilst you may not have, you know, the comfort that your AFSL can be varied, you can then suggest that you use an outsource provider and that will give you time to understand whether this is a business line you want to, to they will want to progress, and if so, to acquire different personnel to undertake it. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Carol. Again, as we mentioned before, there will be other podcasts in this series. Definitely well worth um, looking at getting the basics very, very, very right for when ASIC comes in the door. Yes. So and when we... Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, so when we started, you started to talk about some of the other um, topics that we're looking at. So could we just sort of rehash those quickly? So we are going to yeah. go to a back to basics, how to apply in the first place yeah. for your AFSL. And we are going to go and do one about, uh, we have a lot of members who've been recruited into compliance and doing the 101. And we always say to them, the first thing to go, do is go and find out what your business actually does versus what it says it does and what it plans to do in the future and have a look at whether you're actually executing that properly from day one. And so we're going to address those members' needs in particular by having a little look at what their AFSL, AFSL licence might say versus what they're, um, what they're actually doing and how to rebuild their compliance program around that. And again, it's about compliance being strategic, being on the front foot rather than being reactive and, and to start that process now rather than waiting for it for, at some stage in the future. You need to know your business, you need to know your licence authorisations and you need to ensure that the business is, is congruent with those. And if it's not, then you need to take some steps now. All right. Well, thank you very much, Naomi and Carol. That was fantastic. And listeners, look forward to follow-up podcasts and you know getting, your, getting those basic obligations right and making sure you know what to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.